episode Loaded nine. Oh. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, my God, what a <laughs> scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. <laughs> Austin Eckler. He's making me like I'm some sort of cameo. Like, I'm coming in and go, and out the bag, England to win. Welcome to episode 53 of Loaded Sport, where today we are going to be looking towards the latest news in the transfers across the Premier League and the Football League, as well as that previewing this weekend's Canada Grand Prix in Formula One, looking towards the US Masters, the Darts World Cup, and of course, Kempe's Combat Corner. Two lads that are here with me to go through it all. I've been looking forward to speaking to both of them about two separate things, actually. So, uh, Sam, I'll come over to you first of all. The darts. I have had uh, some new darts, and last weekend I got to trial them out, and I was getting some good, uh, good out finishes. And I know you've been practicing with your darts as well, so I'm looking forward to uh, when we go get to go back up head to head. Yeah, it's uh, looking forward to it, mate. It's uh, yeah, doing good myself. Feels like I'm coming to you from the depths of Saudi Arabia or something. It's absolutely sweltering where I am at the minute, and it's uh, a big bloke like me. It's not quite comfortable. I've got my aircon set up, but it's uh, it's only in one room in it, so there's another about another five rooms in this house after, after boiling so yeah it is what it is but yeah i'm looking forward to darts mate definitely we're now gonna have to get down to lennon's and uh chuck some arrows sometime very soon i got myself a uh, bull finish and an 88 finish which i was quite impressed with as well Ooh, you can't beat a bull finish nasty nasty so kent pulled one against me when we went to uh the Alfton town game a couple of couple of months ago and uh, i went i went too happy about that to be honest Fair enough. Um, so, also to speak to uh, Kemp about golf. Kemp, welcome to uh, to uh, Loaded Sport. How are you? I don't know why I'm introducing fifth, you like it's the first time. Yeah, I was, yeah, was going to say, it has been 53 times on tit so far, but hey, how there, never mind. Um, Mr. White, man with the mic. We're back. <laughs> I, I can't believe I forgot to do it. I, I'm ashamed yeah, of myself for forgetting to do it. But we're back, and let's pretend 52 never happened. Uh, I'm very, very well, thank you, Adam. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I wanted to speak to you about the golf. We'll speak more about the US mm. Masters a little bit later on, but I did my first nine-hole course at the weekend. Um, in How was the it? soaring heat that it was. Um, it was all right. I was quite embarrassed to begin with by some of uh, the shots that I was hitting. I'd never done a course before. Everything I'd done was either a driving range or you know a little bit of practice on, on field. So it was good to do a course, and I think my anxiety is gone now after seeing other people have a go on the course as well. And n- that's obviously they're better than me, but not being like, incredibly good that... It puts me too much to shame. We all start somewhere, mate, and that's the thing with golf. Anybody who is a respectful golfer, especially at a course, the, the one that you went to, especially is, is a kind of is, is seen as a beginner course, to be honest, but that's the right place for you at the moment. I've been there many, many times and continue to go there now, and I've been playing golf for, for, for coming up on three years. So, yeah, that does go. It does happen. I still get it now. If we've got a really fast group behind us, it's like, oh, rushing, feeling a little bit guilty, but it's an inclusive environment for the most part. And if you do feel like you're holding people up, mate, just let them play through. But you will find yourself in a year or two's time thinking, you know, you'll be up somebody else's arse thinking, oh God, you know, I wish these guys would hurry up. And then you've kind of got to return the favour. So swings and roundabouts, but really good that you got yourself out on the golf course, mate. And uh, looking forward to playing around with you very soon. Likewise. Let's kick things off then by talking about the latest in the Premier League. We'll start with the transfers because what's happened over the last couple of days has kind of taken centre stage. We'll start with uh, the Declan Rice saga, starting with, uh, of course, him winning the Europa League, with, uh, sorry, the Conference League with West Ham. Um, an £80 million bid has been rejected. I've seen a couple of sources have said, apparently, it was uh, disrespectful to go as low as £80 million. They're looking for 120. 
Uh, what's your thoughts on that, Sam? I'll start with yourself. Just for clarity, who put the bid in? Arsenal. Arsenal, OK. It's uh, it's puff, of course, isn't it? You're going to start off low ball. They're going to reject your first offer. It's just, I think it's business 101. Look at, I know we're going to talk about later, look at Mason Mount. Uh, may as well bring that one in while talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the first offer always gets rejected. I don't think I've ever seen a first offer just be accepted instantly. So, yeah, it's, I think it's puff, of course. It's, uh, it's Arsenal testing the water. It's West Ham saying absolutely no chance of taking the piss. So, yeah, it's part of the course in these early negotiations, I'd imagine, and uh, I think it won't be won't be too long until both sides come to some kind of arrangement. I'd probably I don't think it'd be 120. I don't think they'll get what they what they wanted. I think it'd be probably close to maybe 100, and then plus add-ons, what maybe rise to 120 by the time all, all said and done. But yeah, it we're always going to happen that that opening bid. Do you think that's where he goes then? Do you think it's kind of sorted? He's going Arsenal. I don't think it's it's definitely not sorted by a long a long long stretch. Uh, Bayern Munich is still sniffing in. Um, I still think United should be uh, having a little peak, Tim. But um, no, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. But it's I mean it's you look at the bookies' odds at the minute. It's, it's heavily favoured to uh, to go to to Arsenal. And that, that's if I if I was a betting man, that's where I'd be putting my money. Yeah, and do you think one twenty might be a little bit too much then? I think so. It's it's a, it's a crazy price, isn't it? It is. You got to ask yourself if he's in, if he's not English, are you paying that money? And I think the answer is quite obviously no. And and I, I'll never justify paying 120 million for it. Sounds a bit biased for someone that's not an attacking player. I think you wouldn't mind paying that for probably one of the best strikers in the world, for example, like maybe an Mbappe. Or I mean, you won't get him for 120 million these days. But no, I, I think it's an overspend. But it's just where the market's at at the minute. And that's so where we are in in the world. So yeah, it's 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 just yeah. I like the thoughts of him at Arsenal. I think he'll help them defensively. I just think they've got to be careful with where they're spending the money. We spoke like over the last couple of weeks about how limited Arsenal's funds are. They're not quite with the big spenders, of course, like City or Liverpool or what United even have the potential to be if their buyout goes through. So I think they've got to be careful with what they're spending and who they're spending it on because I think they need a centre half more than they need somebody in front of that back four. And whilst Rice will help. I think they just need a centre half more than anything. So maybe, but I think they're happy with the starting centre halves, aren't they? The starting centre halves they had for the eight percent of the season are good centre halves. It's it's the depth they need at centre half. I think. Look when Saliba got injured, their whole season just capitulated, yeah. and they can't afford to have that. So I do think a twenty million true centre half signing. You know, I don't know who we're looking at, but even Harry Maguire is daft as that. You know, just no, no, no. <laughs> I did think that I'd get a good response, but you know, just someone who's gonna gonna sit on the bench and is gonna fill in, is gonna step up when needed, uh, because right now that, uh, that is it, Rob Holding, he's Rob he's, Alden, abs- yeah. he's an absolute cart horse for me, is and I, I don't rate him at all, and I think any kind of cover would be good cover. But no, to be fair, they've not spent for years after the Arsenal since they had the the move to the Emirates. They've always been kind of hamstrung with that, so it's it's nice to see him. Nice to see him. Um, Laughs in Nicola Pepe. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's nice to see him uh, flexing flexing the can. But I think when they signed Pepe, I think that was literally their one signing that year. I think it went. Uh, if they're not known for going out and spending three or four players all on fifty plus million each, so I think it is it is good to see for Arsenal from being competitive. They've also been looking on the opposite side. They've been looking at uh, Kai Havertz from Chelsea. The inquiry yeah, that they put in for no, him, no bad idea. No, no, no. No, 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 no. I think that's a horrendous signing myself. Absolutely horrendous. I, I don't rate him any way, shape or form. Yeah, he's never, he's never took the roof off at Chelsea. Um, and, and granted, I, I don't want to judge him by last year because the whole Chelsea team was just a mess. But 
when has when has he ever really looked like a world class striker? And in his, they're going to be wanting someone to play alongside Jesus, and I, I don't think he's the guy. I think I think they're going to want an, a natural number nine to go with him, and he's certainly not that. I don't know so much about alongside Jesus. Maybe like we've said already about a bit of depth. I think it'd be a stronger backup for Jesus than Maguire would be for Holding or. Um, Saliba so I don't think it's that bad if they're going to use him as a backup you've got to think that I don't think he would be used as a backup though would he I don't think I, think, I, don't, I can't see that happening but can't, see him leaving Chelsea, can't see him leaving Chelsea a starter a starter in, in attack to go and sit on Arsenal's bench I, I can't mean, see that it, it, there'd be some kind of guarantee in, in guarantee appearances if, he, if he'd made that move there's no way he'd going to sit on bench it depends though I guess doesn't it if, if Arsenal are competing for the Premier League Chelsea are currently competing for top 10 You've got to think of it from that side. It's going to change. It's going to change, though, isn't it? Chelsea have got the money and and the know how to, to turn it around. I know the, their owner potentially not, but Chelsea will come good again. Is uh, Chelsea are not yeah. going to finish outside the top ten this next this Premier League season? You can put no, I don't think they will. So they're going to come good. They're going to compete for Champions League again at some point. And isn't it, I'm talking about at the minute. He's not in Europe. No, I know we are. I know so we are. He, but I'm, I'm talking about Havertz in, in the long term. Is It'd be very short-sighted room for jumping from Chelsea to from Chelsea to Arsenal if it's if it's on a title. Push. I think on this one, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna butt in on this one because Adam, you've not come to me yet, so I'm feeling a bit left out. But Sorry, um, you've got to look at Arsenal and Chelsea seasons last seasons. They were both anomalies for different reasons. Arsenal season was an anomaly because they got a really good bit of momentum. Saliba, Martinelli, Saka all sort of came into their own and really started kicking on some good signings. Inchenko, Gabriel, Jesus got them there. They got really lucky with injuries in the first part of the season. They were on a momentum hype train. City had a really slow start and it looked for one minute, it had all you three boys fooled, Dawson included, full mm-hmm. respect, that they were going to win the league. That was an anomaly, in my opinion. Next season, I think they'll finish, I think they'll struggle to finish up four, to be honest. I really do. I think United will get stronger, Liverpool will get stronger. They'll struggle to get into that top four mix. Chelsea, on the other hand, had an anomaly for a different reason. Todd Bowler came in, all the stuff with Roman Abramovich selling the club. Um, they sacked Tuchel, which was a stupid decision. Graham Potter could never get it off the ground. Stinky attitudes all over. You've got Mudrick, Abamyang, Havertz himself. Really, really negative atmospheres from everything that I've seen and heard coming out of that Chelsea camp. So I think with Pochettino coming in now, Tuchel started... Poli stepping away from the day-to-day running of the club, which I think he realised he had to do, and he did, to be fair to him. Um, I think you're now in a position where you could definitely, definitely see Chelsea finishing above Arsenal next season, which which kind of adds to Sam's point in the sense that as a snapshot now, you look at the 22-23 season, Arsenal or Chelsea, where you're going to want to go? You're going to want to go to Arsenal, even if that's a backup, right? That's Adam, your point. Yeah. But next season... That's not going to be the case. You know, Chelsea aren't going to finish 10th, 11th. Arsenal are not going to finish second. I would put my mortgage on it, to be honest with you. So you look at that in a nutshell, Clip it. the 2024 season, and then you think Havertz is not going to go from Chelsea as a regular starter, which he has been for right or for wrong, to then go to Arsenal, potentially earn more, less money, because he's going to be a squad player in your in, in your eyes. He's going to be, you know, playing for a team that's probably not going to finish as well as Chelsea are going to do. I, again, think Chelsea will finish above Arsenal next season. And for those reasons, Havertz isn't going to want to go to Arsenal unless he's going to be financially compensated. And Chelsea aren't going to want that either. Chelsea want way too much money for him. They, they do, for the player that he is. But ultimately, if Arsenal are stupid enough to spend it, good on him. Good on him. Get him gone. Because if I were Chelsea, I'd be trying to shove him out the door as quickly as possible because I do not rate anything about him. No. Whereas if I was Arsenal, I'd be avoiding it like the fucking plague. 
And I would be looking at different areas of the team where I could invest my money more wisely and get backups in positions for players like Saliba. Because when Saliba went down, they'd, they'd had it, they were done. So you need a, a good, solid centre-back to back Saliba up. And Harry Maguire ain't that guy. He's just not. <laughs> you need a, a good, solid couple of wingers, perhaps, to, 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 to back up Saka and Martinelli. You need a midfielder, I think, to back up and just bolster that midfield. And they need a striker as well, in my opinion. Arsenal need a lot. They don't need quality players all over the pitch because they've got them. But they're in the Champions League next season, which they didn't have to con- contend with this season. They need more depth for me. And that's why Rice, for 120 mil or whatever... Yes, Arsenal have been testing the waters with the first offer, which was disrespectful, but I think they should avoid it. I think they should go elsewhere because even though Declan Rice would definitely help their first team, in my opinion, unless they can get a ridiculous fee for party and then use some of that to pay for Declan Rice, they need more depth than they need quality, in my opinion. I'm going to disagree with you saying that Chelsea are going to finish above Arsenal. I don't think they make it top four next season. I know they've got Pochettino and I think they'll get into Europe. I think I don't necessarily think Chelsea will finish top four either. I just think they'll finish higher than Arsenal. I think Arsenal... I honestly do think this Arsenal side was just a moment in time. I really do. No, I think they're a young squad that's got a lot of potential, a lot of future, and I think this is just the start. Second, yeah, okay, they might not necessarily get that next season, but outside of the top four? No, I, I think Arsenal will be too good to fall outside of the top four. I think Chelsea will be back in Europe. I, feel another, get... I can feel another 20 quid bet coming on. <laughs> We'll wait until next year for that, see what else happens over this transfer window. But yeah, I think Chelsea will finish back in Europe. I just think it'll be maybe a Europa League as opposed to getting into uh, into the Champions League. I think Arsenal will be too strong. And again, it depends on what happens over this transfer window, doesn't it? We spoke about Kai Abbott's potentially leaving Chelsea. The other one that's looking more realistic to be leaving Chelsea is Mason Mount. There's been a lot of talk about him going to Man United. Again, Sam, testing the waters with a £40 million bid. You mentioned it briefly, been rejected. Do you think he's the right guy to help elevate this Manchester United side to the next level? Uh, this is also falling into the same point as me and Kemp were just kind of make there regarding depth, I think. Yeah. Mason Mount's not going to come into a team and, you know, re- renovate the offence and, and just, oh, offence, you know, I've got American football heading already, haven't I? Only September. Uh, no, he's, uh, he's he's not going to come in and, and change someone's uh, attacking you know attacking play. He's he's going to be a solid depth piece, a squad piece for Ten Hag. And he, he say what he wants about him. I know he gets a lot of stick, especially in an England shirt. He's an absolute grafter. He's an absolute workhorse. He's, he's he's very good technically. He's he's little passing. His little cuts in and out, and uh, it can make runs in behind as well, which can stretch a team. All the traits that uh, Eric Ten Hag looks for in a player. And I think I honestly think it'd be a good signing. I don't want them to go and spend an absolute bucket load on him though. Forty million rejected. Um, I don't. I don't want to see him go for more than sixty myself. I think anything more than sixty is just an, an absolute outrage for for me some amount. So, uh, what do you reckon, Adam? I think How sixty on somebody that's going to be more used as a backup and a, a later in the game substitute. I think sixty million is outrageous for many. Well, aspects. it is. It is, but you look at the money that United have already spent on the likes of Anthony, um, Sancho. These are all, what, 80-odd million spendings. So he's that's what probably Chelsea have rejected it for, because I think they're hoping they'll get a get a piece of that pie and get some upwards of 80 million, which I can't see him getting for him. But it's just the going rate nowadays. And, you know, if he ends his place in, in the starting 11, so be it. But I, I, can't, um, I can't see him getting him for much cheaper than... Uh, if I'm Man United, I'm stepping away. As soon as that £40 million has been rejected, I'm walking away. Put all your money into getting yourself a striker, whether that's Osman, whether that's Kane, 
put all your money into getting yourself a striker because where where's Mount going to go? You've got Fernandez, you've got Fred Casemiro, McTominay's your your holding midfielders. You've got um, like you just said then Anthony, Sancho, Rashford. If you can get yourself a striker and put the money into that. Yeah, Mount would be used as a backup, but you don't want to be spending any more than forty million on a backup player if you can put it towards a striker that's going to change your season and probably put you towards the Arsenal stage of this season, maybe even battling back with Manchester City because that's where United need to be, and I think that that's really what they need to be looking towards. And I think forty million is about right for Mason Mount. We talk about England all the time and say that he probably it is about right. I, I, I agree with that. I think forty million is a, a pretty decent price. I'd be happy with that transfer at forty million. Anymore, I do agree with you anymore. I begrudge it, but it's again, it's just the way football's going. It's the market, it's definitely the market. I mean, you look at Man United's players that they've got in the midfield positions. Mason Mount wouldn't be the first name on the team sheet, he wouldn't, but he'd be a really, really good, solid backup player. You've got players that want to compete again in all competitions, which Ten Hag is all about. Now they're back in the Champions League, that adds even more pressure to that squad. They do need to add depth, and you look at the, the players that they've got, as much as I really love him. Scott McTominay, is he really mm. a, a top-class midfield player? Probably not. Fred, yes, he's been played better under Ten Hag, but he's really, really not been the player for Manchester United that a lot of people thought and hoped that he would. About 50, Ericsson 50 million. Getting towards him. 50 million he was. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Ericsson has been fantastic for Man United in the sense that they got him very, very cheap, if not free. Um, and he's done really, really well for them. But again, he's on the downslide of his career. How much can you depend on him in those situations? Towards the end of the season, I watched a few of Ericsson's performances and thought he was really poor, to be honest with you. Um, yes, you've got Bruno Fernandes and you've got Casemiro, who are going to be stalwarts in that midfield, but then you, you need pieces around them. And I do think Mason might be a good fit. Mm. You've also look at the situation with Marcel Sabitzer. He's going back to Bayern Munich. He was on loan, did a really good job. I think it's better business if they can sign Sabitzer onto a permanent for cheaper than that than it is spending 40 mil or plus for Mason Mount. However, mm. if they can get Mason Mount for 40 mil and then the rest of it can be, you know, um, a £5 million bonus if we win the FA Cup or a £5 million bonus if we, you know, qualify for or finish second in the league or whatever, maybe a transfer clause in that, an add-on or something like that. I think that would work pretty well for Manchester United. But in terms of money up front, I, I, I agree completely with both of you. In terms of that sort of player of a Mason Mount calibre, yes, he'd be really, really solid in that position, but in my opinion, so would Sabitza, and they'd probably get him a lot cheaper than that, fingers crossed for their perspective. So hopefully they can get this over the line because I would like to see Mason Mount away from Chelsea. I do think that dressing room's kind of brought him down a little bit, um, but and I think it'd help his England performances as well, although the PE teacher would waste him regardless. <laughs> but, you know... I would like to see him in that situation. And if they can get the deal done for a reasonable amount of money, um, I think it'd be a good bit of business for Man United. But they do need it because bringing Donny van der Beek off the bench is a really difficult position to be in. I don't care who you are. Well, you look at, you look at the FA Cup final. I mentioned it, I think, last week or week before. It must have been last week. Um, when when they, were, they were down 2-1 against City at about 80-minute mark, they brought on Fred and McTominay and uh, Garnacho. I mean, Garnacho, obviously, we all rate him. Good, good promising youngster, but... The other two, they're not going to come on and change a game for you. And No difference makers there. No, no difference makers. None whatsoever. So, so uh, Whereas Mount on the other end, Mount coming on, he's got a bit about him. He, he could have potentially caused a, caused a bit of trouble. Fresh legs as well. Um, but just to your point, Adam, um, saying that you would like to have and walked away and put this money towards a striker, I think that they will already have some money separate, completely separate to this for a striker. Everybody knows United, and, uh, that's their number one uh, transfer business this summer is getting a striker in. I think that 
that business is going to happen regardless of the sign Mason, Mason Mount for 60, 70 million or not. I still think they'll go and get a striker. And, and again, regardless if it's uh, the Glazers that'll be owners or not. Uh, I did see rumours that uh, the takeover looked like it was green lit and it was look, looking like it was going to go ahead. But uh, I think it was reported in a Saudi newspaper. And then all of a sudden, I think Twitter blew up and everyone started digging, thinking the Saudi newspaper was owned by um, Sheikh Jassim's, um dad. And then it turns out it was a load of shit. It's not, it doesn't own the company and it was just rumours and... And, and no, he doesn't, but yeah, but but they are right about it being a, a Qatari-owned, um, well, a Qatari state-linked media outlet. So I think this guy on Twitter, I think he's literally, his, his handle is at Qatari or something like that. Mm. So he's, he's he got in there quick, to be fair to him. Um, but in terms of the reporting on that, I think it was a, a Qatari-based reporter coming out and kind of promoting his guy rather than actually announcing or reporting the fact that he'd won the race. Um, we are due to see some result uh, over the next few days, I think, about who the preferred bidder is, whether it be Jim Ratcliffe as a partial takeover or the Qataris for a for a full no, takeover. No, absolutely not. And and, and if, if Ratcliffe was coming in saying, right, I'll buy the entire club, I think Man United fans' opinions on it would differ. I think they would rather have the local Manchester United fan um, in position and in situ rather than the Qatari. But what the Man United fans need or want more than anything else is the Glazers out of the club. And if Jim Ratcliffe comes in, unfortunately, they won't be able to get that. So it'll be really, really interesting. I don't even think it'll have any bearing on, on the transfer window in the summer. I think if a deal gets done, I don't think the ramifications of that will come to light until the next summer transfer window. January is never usually a heavy spending window anyway. So I do think if the Qataris Unless come in... Unless Chelsea last year. <laughs> yeah, well, if the Qataris do come in, I think they will. the impact they will have will be at the end of next season rather than the, the summer transfer window of this season. So I think Man United still do have a quite a tight budget to work on. Um, everybody knows their number one need and priority is a striker and they do need backup in other positions as well. But um, but yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting off-season and an interesting transfer window for Man United. So we'll see where we go from there. Adam, with the Harry Kane situation not being resolved or anywhere close to it, you've got Haaland at City, you've got potentially Mbappe going to Real Madrid, which we'll cover very, very shortly. Are, are Man United in the, in the hot seat now to take Harry Kane or can you see them potentially moving away with the report that came out earlier in the week? that said that Daniel Levy is, is is talking about keeping Kane there until the end of his contract. Yeah, I think they've got to move quickly if they are going to go for Harry Kane with the whole Mbappe to Real Madrid, because if that falls through, Madrid are going to look directly at Harry Kane and go straight for him. And if they want him, they're going to take him, let's be fair. So I think whilst this Mbappe thing's still up in the air, the best off jumping in now and kind of going under Real Madrid's nose is to take him before it's too late. Otherwise, they're going to miss the chance. And I know you, you're a fan of Osterman, you want him to take him. So I think if they've got the opportunity and, and they can afford him, and, and why not? I think it'd be a great signing for him. I think it'd be uh, something extra than what they need and add an extra dynamic. Attacking I think for me, what Man United need, especially at this time with the Glazers in situ, is that they need a player or, or a few players that are going to come into the squad, maybe not be the best they're ever going to be in, in their first season, but then in two or three seasons' time, really creep up and their potential comes into play. Yeah. And, and then they start taking over Man City with a young, fresh squad. For me personally, I think Harry Kane would be a great signing for Man United, don't get me wrong, but ultimately, you're going to be paying close to 100 million quid because Daniel Levy... He, he he would literally try and sell a Freddo for 
one pound fifty. You know, he does not. He absolutely does not let players go for any less than he thinks that they're worth. And if they're under contract, he don't care about how much they kick off. And to be fair, Harry Kane has shown that he's a very, very good professional and will get on with his job because he tried to leave at the end of last season and it didn't happen. And he still scored 33 or 31 goals for Spurs, whatever it was. So he's a professional and he will score goals if he goes to Man United. But for how long? This is the thing. What Man United don't want to be doing is spending 100 mil and then in three years' time when Harry Kane's 30, 33, 34 and probably on the downslide of his career at that point, need to go and spend 100 million again on another striker because they've just wasted three years by by getting Harry Kane and his peak when they're quite not ready for it yet. So for me, it's going to be an interesting one. I would like to see them sign Osserman rather than Kane due to that age factor. Um, but but we can all see where Man United's frailties are in, in that respect. With the striking situation at Real Madrid, let's, let's move on to Real Madrid now in, in the sense of Jude Bellingham obviously being announced there as a player today. And we'll touch on that. But the Mbappe situation, can you see Mbappe leaving PSG this summer, Adam, and going to Real Madrid, having come out saying he's not going to sign a new contract? And, and if so, is that Real Madrid striking problem solved when you just chuck Mbappe up top and then let him crack on? Vinicius Jr. on one side, Valverde on the other, off you go. Yeah, I think it is. I think they will get him because PSG are going to have to play it smart and they either lose Mbappe for nothing at the end of next season or they get a shed load of money for him, even with one year left. And Real Madrid will pay the money they need to to be able to get him. They've already got an extremely young midfield, added to it by, of course, Bellingham. And they're going to get a young attack and that Real Madrid side is just going to be a threat for the next 10 years or so. And I think it was last week, it might have been Sam that said it, that Real Madrid just buy players, they keep them for 10 years or so and... They, they use them and, and that's it. They turn them into these stars, let them go at the end of it and just spend that money again on new players. And that's exactly what it needs to be from, from Tottenham. I think they need to do the same thing with Harry Kane. They either cash in on him now or they wait until the end of next season. He goes anyway and they get nothing for him. So I think Mbappe needs to go. I think PSG need to let him go. Let him go to Real Madrid. It's only going to affect them in the Champions League. And I think Real Madrid are just going to be set for a long time then. That's man's to that anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I didn't have much input in that, so I just uh, let you pay get on with that one. It's all right, no, no problem. Fair, fair, fair enough. But Sam, I know you mentioned you didn't have much input there. I, I'll, I'll sort of square the circle in, in that respect to, to quote Simon Jordan and say, who would you <laughs> rather have if you were Real Madrid and you'd got Harry Kane for eighty million and less wages, or Kylian Mbappe for over a hundred million more wages? You're going to have to fork it all out for you now. But he's an out-and-out striker, Kane, whereas Mbappe can be seen maybe not as that. Who would you go for if you were the Real Madrid? <laughs> I'm going for chief? Mbappe every single day of the week. It's not even yeah. a, there's not even a moment's hesitation. You're getting him... Not even, I don't think he's quite even in his peak yet. Let's be fair. What is he, about 24? He's, uh... No, and, and there is that argument to be made that, you know, I think young Ronaldo, not, not Cristiano uh, Ronaldo, the fat Ronaldo, as people call him, bless his heart, uh, but it's the only way of differentiating in these days. R9, mate, um, R9, have some respect. <laughs> R9. I think he peaked really, really early on in his career as well. So there have been some suggestions that Mbappe could potentially be that same sort of ilk and peak really, really early. But you have got to look at it from a sports science perspective, and you're absolutely right. Mbappe is not nowhere near his peak in that respect, is he? Mm. Yeah, it's uh, it's a no-brainer. You, if if you if you're Madrid now and you've got the chance to sign Kylian Mbappe, and as Adam said, I mentioned it last week that Madrid are the sort of team that just buy players and you, they're there for ten years and they'll milk them dry and then they'll let them go when they're like 33, 34, i.e. Casemiro. Um, 
yeah, so if they sign Mbappe, like Adam said, get ready because they're going to dominate for the next 10 years. It's um, it's a scary thought, I reckon. Especially how, that midfield. That midfield yeah, how scary him. would this Pep City team be against that Real Madrid team with Bellingham, Mbappe, Vinicius Jr., Valverde? That would be probably the greatest Champions League final we've ever seen. That would yeah. be a, a fucking sight to behold, wouldn't it? I'd fancy me now. I'd fancy Madrid in that. I would. Ooh, I would. I'd love to see the, the day. All that plethora of uh, young... Mid- <laughs> then you start bringing out them plethoras, don't you start doing that mm. uh, Adam any other business in terms of Champions League obviously I know we need to re- review the Champions League um, and the Champions League final which was just absolutely ridiculous crazy and, and, and we absolutely loved it uh, what were your thoughts on City's performance and ultimately I can't believe we've not even mentioned it yet treble winners mine Yes, that's yes. Why I said Sorry, that. mate. I didn't realise it was me directing that too. Yeah, no, I think right. I, I obviously went Arsenal to win the Premier League and I stood by it till the very end. And it, it's just that City side that are so strong in depth in the uh, Champions League final. They did what we expected them to do. They dominated into Milan. They stood strong for as long as they could, but that City side will always find a way through. And that was the worrying thing. And I think that's going to be the situation for the next couple of years. Pepper's built an extremely good side. Some are getting on a little bit. Some are struggling with their age. But he's going to do exactly what Real Madrid do. And that's just buy younger players that are very good. And that's why I feel that there's a good chance that Man City could go for Declan Rice. I think they've got somebody like Calvin Phillips that just sits on the bench. And it could probably sweeten the deal to West Ham if they offered him in the opposite direction. I think if they gave him up and maybe not paid as much money, they could get Declan Rice in and, and that helps them defensively, doesn't it? And I think that really shows up that midfield for Man City. You've got Declan Rice, you've got Gundogan, you've got Rodri, you've got De Bruyne. You've got a very strong midfield there for Man City for years to come. And I, I think this treble is just... I know it sounds silly to say because they've already won so much in the Premier League. I, I could see it potentially happening again before before Guardiola leaves. And I think that's just how strong this City side is. Yeah, just on your on your City needing to go in for Rice, I'm not sure I agree with I that. Don't I don't mean necessarily needing to go in for Rice. I think there's a chance that they could go in for Rice. I think they'd be daft to. I think moving John Stones to that CDM role, it's absolutely changed his game. They found a new... They finally signing themselves just by doing that. So, if anything, a new centre-back, fair enough, just re- replace John Stones. But I don't see why they'd move on from Stones at centre-medium and Rodri. Just abs- nothing get past them pair. Yeah. Uh, and and su- it's surprising how much he has going forward as well. His bombing runs for- going forward uh, for a centre-half. It's it's almost unheard of. Um, yeah, treble winners, obviously, fantastic. It's uh, something we've not seen since uh, 1999 in this country. But... Um, it's just it's just a little bit tarred in it for me. It's, it's it's a little bit the old financial cloud hanging over. I can't can't sit here and say I prefer it over United's treble, and I can't even sit here and say it's on a par to be honest. Because United had about eight homegrown players in that starting eleven in the in Munich final, and City had none. So it's just them sort of things. I'll always go for the the the, um, the storybook ending rather than financial games ending so I think I asked yeah. you shortly after they won the Champions League final and I think you said it's a, it's the same like yeah you, you I'll, can't I'll, compare I'll, I'll, I'll play with me I wanted you mm. to ask me this on, on here that's why I said it's a it's a, it's a non-question I think I said it was yeah, um, yeah no I 100% prefer United um, yeah it was it was done the right way um, don't get me wrong I'm not naive enough to know that there, there was obviously by far probably the richest club in England at the time when they did that uh, but you know, on, on on the scale of what City, what City are now, it's night and day. So 
Yeah, I'll always prefer United, but you know, hats off to them. It's if if it was easy done, you know, everyone would be doing it. And Newcastle, Newcastle will be doing it in ten years, which I, I can't see doing. But uh, I think the only thing that threatens this City dynasty now is Pep leaving. I think that's it. I think maybe you know, I can't see United rivaling them within the next two years. Or so, but I think you know, Pep, pure elephant man goes out on an eye. Um, would be quite tasty for him to he's do. Won it that. all now, hasn't he? And he's even done treble. So that's what I mean. That's yeah, I mean. and I this... think we can go on. Sorry, Dan. No, no, I've done, mate. No, that way. That they say this was the one, the Champions League. So yeah, I think we can kiss any hope of Pep sailing off into the sunset, elephant man style after that treble goodbye. He still seems really up for it. I think the conversations that they've had after the Champions League final and after Jack Grealish finally sobered up. I think the conversations between the... the, the oh, it's sober now, is it? I still thought it was piss. <laughs> <laughs> I think the conversations in that WhatsApp group chat, knowing Pep's will to win, would have been, right, OK, nobody's ever done four league titles in a row. We can do that now. And nobody's ever done the quadruple. We can do that now. So I, I think that's going to be City's mindset. Do I think they'll do the quadruple? No, I think that's just a bridge too far. How far um, do you think, think they are then? Be from, done. How far do you think they are from that quadruple? What do you think? Uh, they I, need? I, don't, I don't think. I don't think no? it's possible. I don't think it's possible. No, I, I, I don't think that quadruple is possible because you've got to. No matter how big your squad is, you've got to spread yourself so thin across all of those competitions. Yeah, in FIFA, on FIFA 23, it's, it's possible, and I'm sure we've probably all done it on FIFA at some point, but in real life, I think it's just too much. And yeah, if it's picking fucking who, Chesterfield. Yeah, we're not on I, it, mate. no matter who you are or what you are, I, I don't think that'll ever be done. So I think, but I think that that's a, an achievement that Pep will always want to go for it. Of course he will, he's a serial winner. And I agree with you, Sam, in the sense that I don't think this City dynasty will end um, until Pep leaves. And I think that will be 2025. I think he'll run out his contract, which expires in 2025. And I think he will leave regardless because he'll have been at City for 10 years, probably nearly at that point. And I think that's a very, very long stint as any manager in the modern day. You're never going to see 26 years ever again. No. Like so Alex no. Ferguson. The game's changed completely since then. So, so I think that's when it will change. When I when, Just sort of linking those two together, I'm not going to sit here and try and compare Pep and Alex Ferguson because that's as much of a dead issue as the Champions League final comparing the two wins and the two trebles is for me. I completely agree with you in some aspects in the, in the treble wins between the two because they, they, are, they are not comparable. And I know people will think, well, they're the only two English teams who win the treble. Of course they are. They're not because in today's day and age, it's a lot harder to win a treble, in my opinion because you've got so many teams in the Premier League now that are competitive. Back then, when Man United won the treble, let's be honest, it were Arsenal and United. Nobody else was going to win that Premier League in a month of Sundays. That's who it was. You've got now the financial power of Newcastle. You've got Chelsea. You've got um, Arsenal did really, obviously did really well. Arsenal were in it back then. You've got Man United as well. You've got City. You've got five people that could realistically win the title next season. I'm not saying they will, but they definitely could. And back then, I don't think that was the case. I think it's so much harder now to win the treble. But at the same time, I think back then it was more impressive that, like you say, they won it with the homegrown players and City didn't. They also won it with a cloud hanging over the head. So you've got to look at that aspect of it as well. I think both trebles are on a par for me. I can't separate them. Yes, there is that cloud hanging over the head, but it's harder to do. Whereas back then in 99, it was easier to do, in my opinion, but then they'd not got that cloud hanging over the head and they had got those home homegrown players. So I agree with you in some respects in the sense that the dynasty won't end until Pep leaves. 
But I do have to disagree with you that Man United was more impressive due to that reason, because, like I say, I think it's much more competitive these days. But it'll be very, very interesting to see uh, where, where Pep and, and City go next. Adam, could you potentially ever see... City winning a quadruple or anything anything of that magnitude? Yeah, I think we could do it. I don't think they were the far away from doing it this year, of course, winning the treble and they lost out. Fucking in the Nathan Carabao Jones stopped them, mate. They were well, well away. That's what I mean. They they lost they lost to Southampton, a side that on any other day they could easily have beaten. They beat them multiple times in the Premier League, haven't they, over the years? And they were a side that went down at the bottom of the league. I think it was just like you say, a little bit of tired legs, the fixture congestion that kind of got too much of them. So I think another one or two players, I think City are they're or thereabouts ready for doing the quadruple. So, yeah, I think it, it's it's doable for them. I think they're in the best position that anyone's ever been in in England to go ahead and do the quadruple. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Um, I completely agree with Kemp saying it's um, it's harder to win the treble now than it was back then. Um, just on the fact that I, d- I don't think the Premier League um, was easier back then than it is now. Just for, You just have to look at the, the points difference. United won the league on at 79 compared to is 89. The 10 points difference in that shows you that United have lost 10 points more in that season because it was a more competitive league. So for me, for me, the, the league was that, that that closer from top to bottom financially. The league was a lot closer than it is top to bottom now. You look at City compared to a Brentford, compared to United, and say, uh, oh, I can't even think, a Forest, I don't even think Forest, a Derby maybe in uh, in 99, the, 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 the finances will be miles different. They will, and I'll take your point, but also... In 1999, realistically, in the Premier League, and, and take points out of it, who were the who were the teams that could have realistically won that league that season? Um, I mean, I, I keep trying to get up a, um, a Premier League season for it, but obviously Arsenal, and um, I'm not sure how Newcastle were at that point. I can't, I can't. That's what the one team I was trying to check out on. Uh, but the point being is you look at, you compare that to this season and it would be Arsenal again and Arsenal absolutely bottled it this season by a good way. So, so I've got I, it in I, front of me now. So you've got Man United winning the league on 79 points, Arsenal on 78, Chelsea on 75. One point. And then Leeds 67, West Ham 57, Aston Villa 55, Liverpool 54. So, so a lot more competitive. I, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I think Manchester United playing against Middlesbrough of 1999, for example, was a lot more difficult than Manchester City. Uh, sorry, a lot easier for Manchester United to play against that Middlesbrough team and beat them and get a win than Manchester City to play away at Brighton or Manchester City to play away at Newcastle. The, the league, in my opinion, the Premier League now, is more competitive than it's ever been, despite the points totals, because the teams in it are harder to beat. So Man City's Premier League win and and their treble win, in, in that respect, for me, is more impressive because I think it's harder to compete across all those competitions because the standard has increased. A high tide raises all boats. And I honestly do think that's what's happened. You've had Abramovich since then. United have stayed strong. Liverpool have come back into their own. Arsenal had a really good season. I think in terms of a Premier League, this season was harder to win the Man United's Premier League of 99. I know, I completely take umbrage against that. You just have to look at the top three this season. City, 89. Arsenal, 84 in second. And United in third, 75. Way but does that, but, but does look that at the top not, three, what you've just read. I'm going to side with Kemp on but this, flip I think. That on your head, but, flip that on your, but flip that on its head, right? Man United in 1999, they've got a really important FA Cup semi-final against Arsenal, right? If they're playing Wimbledon, they can rest some players. That's fine. You do not need to win the league in 1999 
with 90 points. You don't need to do it because the teams in that league just aren't aren't going to give you. Yeah, any you can't afford to rest players because you only won league by a point. But 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 they could afford to do it because they won the league. That's my point. It's more difficult to compete against all competitions because you're playing against Newcastle, Brighton, Arsenal. You know, Chelsea were absolutely terrible this season, but they're still in there and they're still competitive as a team because they've got that financial backing and power to be so. Whereas in that 99 season, Man United could have played a second team against a lot of those teams, still won fairly comfortably and saved a lot of their plays for the Champions League and FA Cup. I get that City have got a lot of strength in depth, but I think the overall challenge of winning the treble is harder now than it was back then, in my opinion. But at the same time, Man United, a lot of young homegrown players, didn't have as big a squad as Man City, so it was still impressive. So again, I'm not comparing to them, I'm not saying City's was better than United's or the other way around. I just think personally there are fours and against the, the, the City and United trebles, and they're both very, very impressive in their own respect. Points don't lie. That's all I'm saying. Points don't lie. If, if it was, if it was, if it was, you know, if it was harder now, City would have won the league. You know, in a tougher situation, and they didn't. They won it by five points. United well, won it by points, one. There's no way. Lie. There's no way. Come on. There's no way that final game at season. If you say it is a Wimbledon or whatever, there's no fucking way on earth. Sir Alex Ferguson is resting his players because I didn't say of, final game at season, did I? Well, I, I don't know. I thought you did, to be fair, but. There's, there's no way that United are resting players. When they win the league on the final day of the season, because it was won by one point, there's no way on earth that they're resting players for, a, for an FA Cup final or Champions League final because it's gone right down to the wire and that's something that this one hasn't done. Adam, you said you, you disagreed with me inside of a camp. I'd like to hear what you think on that. I think in that season that you're talking about with just the... Um the top three sides being very close with each other. That's all that Premier League had really got. Everyone else was not near that level. Whereas the Premier League at the moment, like Kemp's pointed out, Brighton were a relatively strong side. Brentford could upside, upset a couple of sides. Um, Arsenal were competing. United were getting back to their best. Liverpool in the second half of the season definitely picked things up. You'd got some sides in the Premier League now you could sit and we even do it with our, our wild cards. You could look at some games and say, this side could beat that side. In the Premier League back no, in, go on, sorry, Adam. the Premier League back then, those three sides were pretty much only losing to each other, and I think that's that's the real difference. And and would and you mentioned there, Sam, points don't lie, right? Mm. You, yeah. that, at Sam White, twenty twenty three, yeah, yeah. points yeah. don't 100%, 100%. lie, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, completely agreeing with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect, fantastic. Glad you've said that. Manchester United got seventy nine points in nineteen ninety nine. They okay. won the league. Manchester City, Arsenal got 84 points in 2023 and didn't win the league. What's right. harder? What do you mean? Which is a harder league to win, 99 or 23? 99. What? 99. But if it takes 79 points to win the league in 99 and it takes 85 points to win the league in 23, how is 99 harder to win? Because the points are spread out among the leagues. Points don't lie! That's what I'm saying. The po- that's what I'm- that's my point. That is my point. The points are spread out, so United haven't earned that many, that many points. Because you, the yeah, league but it's harder, harder to win the league. Yeah, but it's harder to win the league in 2023. I get, I get the point you're saying. I, I do get the point you're saying. But my my point is that them them points United got in '99 and '79 points were harder to come by than them points because they, they, they couldn't. The other teams have clearly got the rest of their points. If there's 10 points that City have got on United there that are spread out across the league because United have struggled to win the league as much as City have. 
Okay. Well, we're going around in circles here, and let's just agree to disagree on that one. But fair Adam, enough. I think you make a good fair point, and, and to be fair, um, you do agree with me, Adam. You are spot on, aren't you? Bless you. You're always fucking right. Fucking Yeah, no, that's bad. No, that's bad. Yeah, I'll retract <laughs> that one straight away. So we, we are talking about the Premier League, and, and very, very briefly before we do move on. The Premier League fixtures were announced today, Adam. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yes, um, I'm just looking at some of them at the moment. Man City away against Burnley um, starts Man City's uh, title defence off. Chelsea at home to Liverpool, the first game of the season. Two sides that would naturally be regarded as uh, top four sides. Neither finished top four last season. Um, Very big game to start the season. I think the one that we were looking at was Nottingham Forest in their opening four away games. Sam, you're not going to like to talk about this because it's Forest. But uh, Arsenal away. Man United away, Chelsea away and City away in their opening four away games of the season. So is there any fixtures from, we'll start with the the, the opening weekend, Kemp, I'm assuming yours is Sheffield United, Crystal Palace? Yeah, yeah, and I think I think it's winnable, mate. I think it's winnable. I'm really excited. I think I think Crystal Palace at home. Yes, they had a fantastic end to the season under Roy Hodgson. I don't know if he's still staying. I think yeah, he's yeah, staying. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So so they're not going to be easy to beat, but I, I do think we'll be able to get at them. Um, I think they are going to lose a couple of key players. Wilfred Zaha, I think, will be on his way at the end of the season or, or, or now. Um, I think it's a really winnable open, opening fixture for us, and I'm absolutely delighted. And to be honest, lads, I'm wearing yellow today because uh, I'm running around like Big Bird trying to get season tickets for next season. <laughs> and uh, for some reason, Sheffield United are, 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 are digging the reels and not, not releasing them just yet for me. So uh, I'm doing my best, and uh, and I'm sure if I can get my, my grubby hands on a season ticket, um, I will be there for the first game of the season against Crystal Palace. It's a really, really <laughs> decent opening game for us, and, and fingers crossed we can get our first three points on the board and start it positively. Grubby hands is the word. Uh, yeah, it, it's one of them fixtures. You're hundred percent right. It is a winnable game, and if I mean, if if you're not looking at Crystal Palace at home, thinking you oh we're not going to get a chance here, then there's no point you being there, is there? Uh, you, you know for a fact you're going to get a, your list of your, your league twenty teams um, at the start of the season. You, you kind of earmark certain teams and certain games where you think right that's a three pointer, that's a three pointer, and, and what a yeah I think what a start for you boys at home. I think Crystal Palace. You know for a fact the place is going to be bouncing, um, and yeah, I, I would I would expect you boys to win that one. To be honest, for probably give you a kiss of death. So, there's still, I think I think there's, there's, Thanks, a juris- there's a jurisdiction on time with it though, isn't there? I think I think there's a jurisdiction. I think it'll have worn off by the time the mm, season starts. I don't know. It so. took you it took about 15 minutes for for Romelu Lukaku to fall to absolute bits <laughs> when you said that about him in Champions League final. So what what at worst performances I've ever seen from a striker in a Champions League final? Of oh, course, Sam had of course Sam had, uh, had, had said something about him a few minutes before. So what it's can true. you do? Um, Adam, you mentioned it there very, very briefly. Burnley against Manchester City to open the uh, open proceedings um, at Turf Moor back in the uh, back in the Premier League. The former captain and and, and Mr. Fantastic statue outside of of the Etihad for for, for Manchester City, Vincent Company, will face his, his former boss, his former final boss um, at Manchester City, Pep Guardiola. How do you see that one going? Man City's way. They beat him last season whilst Burnley were in form and playing very well in the Championship and had confidence behind him and Man City picked him to pieces and I think it's just going to be the exact same thing next season. The season starts with with this. I think City will have played Arsenal before then in the uh, the Community Shield or the Charity Shield, if you will. Um, so they'll already have an idea of what their side's going to be like and against the Burnley side, they've just going up as champions. I don't I don't think it's going to be too, uh, too difficult for them to dispose of them. I think City could easily go, what, nine, ten games. Well, I think they could go most of the season unbeaten, to be fair, next season. They can be funny, though, can't they, City? They can sometimes take a little bit of time to warm up. It, it is, for me, it is a 
it is a, a sort of you know banana skin master against apprentice is a bit on the game you know with that that story in the background um for me it's, it's a typical banana skin sort of game and I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting here and saying Burnley are going to come out winners. I'm just saying, you know, be careful. It's, it's a typical sort of game for City that they could come out sluggish, lose 1-0, draw 0-0, you know, a really dull start to the season. I think they did it this year, to be honest. I think they had a really slow start to the season and um, hence why Arsenal were so far ahead at one point. It shows you how many points City dropped you at one stage. So, yeah, it, don't don't, uh, don't completely write Burnley off, I once said, but what do you reckon, Kempi? I see you nodding there. Yeah, yeah. Traditional slow starters, Man City are. They started really, really slowly in this last season and went on to win the treble. So but they do start slowly, historically. Um, I think it will be, I think it's the perfect scenario for, for Company and Burnley to ever get a win against Man City. If they're ever going to get a win against Man City, it's 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 this game. Because mm. I think last season, or I remember it was the season before, but Brentford played Arsenal on the opening game um, and got a win. They beat them. Um, it's a Friday night. It's eight o'clock. It kicks off the season. Turf Moor will be absolutely rocking. You know, City have just won the treble. Burnley are going to give them a really frosty reception. Um, and, and Vincent Company will, will be bang up for it. And to be honest with you, like you say earlier, Sam, I think players like Jack Grealish will probably still be hung over by the time <laughs> it gets to 11th of August. So, yeah. so we'll see how that goes for them. But Friday the 11th of August, we've got Burnley at home against Manchester City. Um, Arsenal at home against Nottingham Forest and the early kickoff on Saturday the 12th of August. You've then got Bournemouth, West Ham, Brighton, Luton, Everton, Fulham, Sheffield United, Crystal Palace, uh, all at three o'clock. And then the late game is Newcastle against Aston Villa at half past five. Sunday, you've got Brentford against Spurs. Massive, massive game on Sunday afternoon with Chelsea against Liverpool on the opening day, which is a huge fixture. And then on the Monday night football, we'll finally see the return of uh, Jamie Jamie Carragher there and, uh, <laughs> and Gary Neville um, on, the, on Monday night football at eight o'clock. So we're vastly, vastly looking forward to that one. And I'm sure we'll cover it more in our season preview of the Premier League, Adam. Yes, 100%. Um, I, w- I, d- I do want to mention the last game of the season. We spoke about it earlier in the chat, Sheffield United against Tottenham, um, battling for two different things. I genuinely feel that this Tottenham side are going to struggle this season. I know you wanted me to save it and talk about it now because with Harry Kane disappointed, he, he wants to leave, of course, that's been a known thing. Tottenham's side just seems to be weakening and weakening and all they've really got that I've noticed is Harry Kane and Son from an attacking perspective. They've not got too Son's much... Son's been poor this season. Son's, Son's been poor. He has, but over the last couple of years, they've pretty much carried that Tottenham attack. They tried to strengthen with Rickarlison. That's been a disappointing signing. I think that the key to keeping Kane would have been to bring back Pochettino, who, of course, himself wouldn't want to go back there after the way it ended last time. I think that was the key. And letting him go is really what's upset the rhythm of this Tottenham side. They looked like they were a side that was strengthening and, and, and you know, destined for success. And then they made the wrong decision in getting rid of the manager. Lloris going, I know you didn't like him. I know you said he's been poor, but what else have they got in goalkeeper? They, they've got Fraser Forster, who I don't think is up to the Premier League standard. No, they're not going to put Fraser Forster in as, as goalkeeper. No, but they used him towards one, the back end of this last season is what I mean. Well, yeah, but yeah, but they didn't really have anything to play for, did they, at the back end of last season. So you, you, you chuck someone out there and you, and, you, and you give it your best. I completely agree. Sheffield United and Spurs are going to be battling for different things. Sheffield United are going to be battling for Europe, obviously, and Spurs are going to be struggling to beat the drop. So we're, we're going to be looking at that one, interestingly. But now, in all seriousness... Um, I genuinely I, feel I that Tottenham will be with... bottom off of the table next season. No, I, I disagree with that. I think Ange Postacoglu is a, a very, very good manager. I think he's actually underrated. I think a lot of people in England and in the English game don't quite understand how, how well... 
Ange Postacoglu did with Celtic. They, they lost their first title in God knows how many years to a Steven Gerrard Rangers team, which we've seen Steven Gerrard's capability when he went to Aston Villa. He's not exactly going to be winning um, any, any Manager of the Season awards anytime soon. So... I think Postacoglu did an unbelievable job. His recruitment is on point. He's got such a good knowledge of Asian and Pacific players um, over his experience in Australia, obviously, as their, their head team, their national team coach and in Japan. Um, I think Postacoglu will do surprisingly well with Spurs. I don't think they'll finish top four, but I don't think they'll be that far away. That They're looking at signing um, Harvey Barnes and James Madison with a joint fee of £50 million, which I think would be a really, really good That's a couple of signings for them. Um, I didn't hear you, sorry, mate. I'll have to continue. I have to say at the end. Um, and I think that'll be a really, really good starting point for them to to kick on. And I honestly don't, and I stick to what I said uh, a few weeks ago, I don't think Kane will leave. I think they'll let Kane leave on a free at the end of next season. And I think he'll give one more 30 goal season to Spurs uh, next season. I think they'll get some good additions in there. So uh, I won't be surprised to see Spurs potentially battling for Europe on that last game against Sheffield United. Sam, me or Adam, where are you falling on the fence on that one? I I don't like the I don't like his appointment myself. I, I don't I think it's quite uninspired. Um, I get what you're saying about Celtic, but it's a two-horse race, and Rangers kind of felt a bit that since uh, since Gerard left. Um, yeah, it's uninspired. That that's all I've got. I think you two have covered it pretty well. But um, yeah, it's, it's time in Australia. Um, it just doesn't seem to have great pedigree about him. I want to thought. Uh, one of travel travel's always a, always a very impressive thing, but as I say, it's in Scotland, so you know, fuck that. It's a lot less of an impressive thing in Scotland than anywhere else. I give you. Yeah, and especially when it's not a European travel either. That that, that always gripes me a bit. Yeah, and that's a that's the one. Treble. Yeah, that's the one big thing with Postacoglu. I think he'll do a lot better than people are expecting him to do. I don't I don't agree with with what you just said there, um, but. The the one thing that was very disappointing about his his time at Celtic was the European um, uh, situation they found themselves in. I think one season, I think the first season he was there, he got knocked out of three, or three European competitions in one mm. season, which is a, a very, very good achievement for Postacoglu. So, <laughs> so well done getting knocked out of the Champions League, Europa League and Conference League um, all in the same season. So um, we'll have to see how how that plays out and uh, we'll see Wait, where we are. Wait, that's not possible. Next year. There it is. Are you sure? So, Yes, yeah, so they were in the qualifying rounds of the Champions League. They didn't make it. So they went into the Europa League, got knocked out, I believe, at the group stage. I think they were third. Yeah, it would be the group stage. 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 Yeah, I'm happy to be fact-checked on that, but I think it's a little bit of a technicality in the sense that they got knocked out in qualifications, so they weren't quite in the Champions League. But again, happy to be fact-checked on that one, but I'm pretty sure I'm spot on. Um, Adam, you've just mentioned there Postacoglu going to be a disappointment. Any any other games on the end of the season or or any other ramifications at the end of the season that you can think of and and that you want to discuss now? No, at the moment. I'm going to wait until transfers because uh, I've made that comment about Spurs and then you mentioned about Arby Barnes and James Madison. If they both go to Spurs for 50 million, that's an absolute steal. Spurs are going to be laughing and I think that will change um, them. You got any Chesterfield news? Any strikers supposed to be assigned? Yeah, mate, about four. Four, yeah, we've already signed them. They've just not been announced. That's Gotta quit right. saying them or... No, mate, let's just fucking move on, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, it's been a on. long day. been a long day. Right, let's move on to uh, the last bit of football talk before we move on to other sports, and that is England away against Malta on Friday and at home to North Fucking up a massive game. Massive Monday. game. 
Kemp with absolutely zero interest about this. Sam, we'll start with you then. So, uh, your, your lineup expectations, any real surprises for you? Uh, Gareth, in it. It's old Gareth. So, you're expecting Maguire to come in at centre half. You're expecting probably Calvin Phillips to play more than he should have played. But, neither again, I suppose he's coming back from City. So, he'll actually have that excuse not to play him. And, um, well, he'll probably still find a way to play him, to be fair. Uh, no, I'm expecting no no surprises with this this team coming up. It's it's a way into I think Malta. Yeah. Malta is it's on Friday. Yeah, tomorrow. Oh, it's tomorrow. I can't wait to watch that actually. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be one of them games. It should be an absolute formality for England. I, I know Kemp's a great believer in in you know, under under twenty one setup. I'll let him dig into that in in a, in a second. But um, it, it, these are the sort of games where you want him to start tinkering. You know, with things you want to start blooding some players. You know. Start getting tomorrow some game time. Start uh, obviously he's not even selecting his squad, so I'm not not you know and I'm well aware of that. Uh, but but now he, he's quite vanilla as we all know, so he'll just be a, a straightforward team that we've seen a million times. Um, it's a team that's probably going to win three 0 or something like that, and it should be all cut and dry. Um, and then I think they are playing North Macedonia at and home. Monday at home, yeah. Monday night. So um, Monday night, yeah. If yeah, that that should be a, a decent... Monday night or Benjamin Monday night. <laughs> yeah, sure, that that should be a more of a decent test, I reckon. North Macedonia obviously qualified for the Euros last Euros, so um, and I think they caused a bit of an upset if I remember rightly. I can't remember who quite who that was, um, with the Goran Pandev up from the about forty year old at the time. So I wonder if he's still playing for him. Do you think um, it'll be? Sorry, do you think it'll be the same lineup then for Friday and for Monday? Because there's been times where he's maybe swapped a couple of players round. Harry mm. Kane's obviously started everything. No, maybe not the same lineup. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being a bit exaggerative, but um, I don't think there'll be much much inspiration. I, I think Kane's probably going to start both games. Um, you know what Kane's like is ultra competitive. He's got no going on for him for his club football, so he may as well uh, you know sink all of his effort into England. Um, Bellingham, I expect to see him heavily. I'm just trying to think of clubs that haven't played for played for a while. John Stones is probably not going to feature much. So, what about Eze? Well, uh, yeah, I, I would I would like to. I don't think he'll start. I don't think he'll start either game to be honest. I think he'll probably be a be a substitution on on both both nights. But yeah, it'd be definitely nice to see him come on. Um, the, the the interesting one is for the second game. I think it's going to be a pretty uh, cut and dry. Rashford's going to start on that left, I would imagine, against uh, Malta, because obviously Grealish is. They're going to give him the City players some time, I think, to come back with it being a you know a, a game they should expect to win, regardless of anyone in that 23 man squad. Um, it'll be interesting to see who he goes with in the second game. Will he drop Rashford and start Grealish, and you know, he'll start to show his hand then on what he's planning on for the the actual upcoming major tournament when we fully expect to qualify. I think we're only a couple of wins away from. From guaranteeing it anyway, so yeah. about right. what, what about you, Aggie? What do you reckon for the the, the lineup? Yeah, I agree. I think the City players, Foden, Grealish, they'll get a bit of a break themselves. Um, Saka on the right, Rashford on the left, and, and Kane up top just seems like the basic way to go with England, doesn't it? At the minute, midfield yeah. full of Bellingham and and Calvin Phillips, I'd, Rice, Rice. Uh, sorry, and, and Declan Rice. Yeah, I don't, I don't like the uh, the call up of Jordan Henderson, but I think for experience, no, I, I mean. Yes, maybe a World Cup or a Euros. I'd understand it a little bit more if you're looking for players for the dressing room for that sort of experience. But against sides like Malta and North Macedonia, where, like you say, it's a formality that we should just be going out there and beating them, I really don't see why we need squad players like Jordan Henderson when we've got younger players that could easily get a call up and maybe get yeah. a bit more game time. I say the same about like Harry Maguire, though. I also don't know why he's been 
called up. Constantly. Well, we never know. We never know why Maguire's been called up, do we? But, you know, here he is again again. Especially when tomorrow is available. But it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It'll just constantly happen. Um, it's good to see players from, like, sides that you don't normally see, though. I mean, there's three Crystal, play- uh, Crystal Palace players going. Lewis Dunk's going from Brighton. I'd love to see all four of them play. But for some reason, I've got it in my head that it'll be Jordan Pickford one game, Aaron Ramsdale another, and Sam Johnston's just going to be there to make up numbers. Is um is Aaron Ramsdale in part of the squad? I've yeah. not actually got the squad in front of me because I know one. Is it, is it Pope? Pope's the one who's not made it into. Yeah. I think that's yeah. That's where I think I've got he's me. injured. Uh, yeah, he is. You're right. Um, yeah, for me, Ramsdale has to be England's number one going forward after the season he had. I know Jordan Pickford played really well, and and they like they like um you know using his feet out from the backs, especially for England. But I just think I think there's got to come a time where where Ramsdale gets that number one share and. I know it's not going to happen. I'm not kidding myself here thinking it's going to happen. It, it, like so I, I probably fully expect Pickford to play both games, potentially, but, but there we go. There's been rumours Pickford's moving to uh, maybe Manchester United, another side in the Premier League, though. If he does, do you think that gives him the number one shit for longer in your eyes? Mm, yeah, yeah, probably, because yeah. that tends to be how, how the, you know, the bias of the big clubs... Um, Especially United, you know, if they do sign Mason Mount, you're looking at Mount, Rashford, Sancho, Shaw. I know Maguire's kind of on his way out. Uh, Wan-Bissaka, I'll never understand why Wan-Bissaka is not in, in England squad. I, I still think he's probably the best defensive right back on the planet. But um, yeah, I, I think if he if he does sign for United, I don't think he will. Personally, this is me saying I don't think he'll sign for United. I think they'll stick with De Gea for another season at least. Um, but yeah, I think it'd only help his, his England career. Kemp, anything you want to add England-wise? Nope. Nope, thought just as much. Right, let's move on to... Uh... Well, fuck it, yeah, well, fuck it. I've bought in now, you've been talking about it, so I'm going to add, add my two penneth worth. I think there were some very interesting squad announcements. I think the only one I was happy really with was Eze. The rest of them was ridiculously uninspired. I can't <coughs> Tamori not featuring, Gibbs-White not featuring, Henderson fe- featuring. It's just baffling to me. Um, Gareth Southgate will do what Gareth Southgate does whichever Man City players say yeah Gaffer I want to play and they're fit to play probably not Jack Grealish they'll put in the side Pitford will play Maguire will play um, all the standard flag bearers of, of Gareth Southgate's side will play it'll be uninspired it'll be bollocks we'll probably not play that well um, but we'll still beat Malta and North Macedonia Um not interested in it. Probably won't watch either of the games. Um, and thank you, Gareth Southgate, because you've completely made me uninterested in international football once again. So uh, congratulations, Sir PE teacher. Well, there we go then. Uh, Kemp, we'll stick with you then as you can uh, move us on to golf and the US Masters. Oh, US Open, mate. Thank you. Fucking US Open. grow up. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's been an interesting start, most definitely. More interesting than Gareth Southgate's England selections. Um, Jacob Solomon, Dylan Wu and Ricky Fowler, along with Xander Schaeffler, um, are leading the pack at the moment at three under. Um, Ricky Fowler and Xander Schaeffler really, really looking dangerous at three under when they're only through five and seven, respectively. Um, John Rahm doing OK as well after, after six. He's, he's on one under. Um, and I think he may have yet. Yeah, he got two birdies and a bogey. Have got the coverage on at the moment, uh, so so that's where we're at with that as well. Uh, Omar Morales didn't have a too bad a start. Um, he was one of the first tee times. He's now through thirteen, um, but he is now back at level par. Um, and then we are we are yet to see a lot of the the, the main features that you would expect to come through. Um, 
Colin Murakawa has had a little bit of a shaky start. Not 100% sure on where he is exactly on the leaderboard at the moment, but the last time I saw, I think he was a couple over. So he has got a little bit to do um, in that respect as well as we speak. Um, obviously, by the time this podcast airs and it goes out, it will be Friday. And in that respect, we will know who has come out at the start of the uh, at the second day um, leading the pack. Defending champion Matthew Fitzpatrick tees off at the same time as Dustin Johnson. That'll be a very, very interesting um, uh, tea time and a very interesting group in that respect as well. We've got Cam Smith, uh, Patrick Cantley, and Jordan Spieth all teeing, teeing off around that time as well, with Rory McIlroy teeing off at about five to ten. So it's it's shaping up to be a very, very interesting US Open. As I say, Xander Schaeffler and Ricky Fowler may be are the two at the moment that are looking um, more promising than anybody else. Um, but it's anybody's to win, I think, and it's going to be an interesting tournament. Um, Max Homer is through six and he's on 200 at the moment. And if anybody wants to have a little uh, loaded sport backed bet, um, that would be the one that I will put my money on. Max Homer has been pretty decent so far this season, this, this PGA Tour season. Um, and I think he'll continue his fairly decent run um, at, at the US Open. And I do think he'll probably come away with the trophy in the end. Hart says, I want Matt Fitzpatrick to uh, to retain because he's a Sheffield United boy, Sheffield United fan and a local lad of the area. Um, but it's all to play for. And a $15, $15 million prize pot at Los Angeles Country Club um, is, is well underway. So, Adam, how much would you like to win the $15 million, uh, prize pot at the US Open this uh, this weekend? Mate, I'd retire from everything straight away. Journalism, first of all, just so you're both happy with that. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you, any any particular like outsiders that you think have a good chance that maybe not necessarily winning, but causing upset, getting themselves a good performance? Um, I think it will be the standard names around the top of the leaderboard. Um, I think Dawson, I'm going to have to give him credit. He mentioned a name earlier on today, a very much lesser name uh, known in the golfing world. Um, and I can't remember who he said. I don't know if either of you boys caught who he said and who he was backing to win the uh, win the US Open. I can Do you remember the name. I don't remember the name off the top of my head, but uh, I can not. have a check for you. Yeah, because I, I think for, for Corey me... Corey Connors. I, I do, oh, Denny McCarthy. Yeah, yeah, I think, no, to be fair, mate, both of them will qualify as what you've just mentioned there. Um, not bad shouts. I, I think that it'll be a very, very interesting tournament because this is coming directly on the back of the Live PGA announced merger. I think a lot of Live golfers will be really upbeat and really happy that they're back into the fold after they took the massive signing bonus. And I think a lot of the PGA t- players may be a little bit down in the dumps after, um, after after what's transpired over the past week. So it wouldn't surprise me that a few of the Live players did really well um, and, uh, and and pigged out on the winnings as, as Sam's uh, d- demonstrating there with these lovely filters. But um, yeah, if you want an outsider, go to Dawson. If you want a, a winner, then uh, then come to me because Max Home is going to win the tournament, in my opinion. <laughs> Sam. Right, let's go across to uh, Sam then for the darts because the World Cup is starting. So Sam, I'll ask you first of all, uh, Michael Van Gerwen just a couple of days ago withdrew from the World Cup. How much he do did. you think that impacts the Netherlands' chances? Oh, it's like saying, will the world's best player affect your chances of winning? Of course it's going to affect it. It's, uh, it's a huge loss. And I, I, I don't know about you, but uh, have you tried pronouncing his, uh, his replacement? I Dirk, have not made. Dirk van Dwevenbode, I think it's uh, it's uh, on record that that's who will be pl- replacing MVG. Uh, obviously, Danny Noppert will be still be the the other partner in the double. Um, 
yeah, it's it's a huge blow for the Netherlands, especially considering the the one of the four teams. I mean, you've you, you've seen yourself how, how many teams have qualified for this. It's it's tons and tons, and there's only four teams that get a, a first round bye, and, and the Netherlands are one of them because they're so good. And and now you, you feel it's just Danny at carrying this uh, this other geezer that I won't pretend I know about. Uh, uh, yeah, the rest of them, of course, are England, Wales, and Scotland, who, uh, who have also got the the first round buys. Uh, I've yeah. got a quick question for you, Sam, before you do move on. Yes, um, why I've not seen why. Obviously, I'm a big fan of darts, but probably not as in tune to it as you guys are. Um, why has Van Gerwen pulled out? Is it the same injury that he showed in the Premier League at the end of last season, or is it different? Different, mate. Yeah, different. It's um, it's actually a dental, a planned dental uh, surgery, which I find really poor from him planning it. I think he planned it. He went for dental surgery on the Monday, as Adam would say, and not recovered in time by the weekend. And I think by Wednesday, they had to essentially call it, which is when yesterday the, the news got announced that he, he wasn't uh, wasn't going to make it. So, yeah, he had a routine dental, dental appointment on the Monday. Essentially hasn't recovered in time. So I don't know if he's just slurring his words or he's in a lot of pain. I'm, I, I haven't gone into detail. I don't think we really need to or something like that. But, yeah, it's nothing to do with the – I think it was uh, – was it she looked a bit shoulderish, didn't it, in the, in the, the Premier League? It was, yeah, shoulder-related, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, nothing, nothing to do with that at all. Apparently, well, you, you've seen yourself. You come back in in the final and absolutely obliterated um, uh, Gerwin Price in the final. So yeah, it's nothing to do with that. It's um, just pre-planned dental op. Something as routine as that that's uh, gone a little bit awry, and and the old Netherlands have suffered from bless them. Uh, which is interesting because I think they, them and England were joint favourites, I believe, uh, for the the whole lot. So obviously, England have got Michael Smith and Rob Cross. Uh, which is a pretty tasty duo taking into a tournament. Um, Scotland, I know they've got Peter Wright, but I can't... Oh, it's, uh, is it Gary Anderson? Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson, they've got uh, their double, and obviously Wales, they've got the, the Welsh duo of um, Kemp's boy, Gerwin Price, and... Johnny Clayton. Johnny you Clayton. You know what's crazy as well, Sam, because you just mentioned there the team of Scotland, Peter Wright and Gary Anderson. A couple of years ago, that, that team of Peter mm. Wright and Gary Anderson is a red hot favourite. Yeah. And since then, those two boys have unfortunately fallen off the uh, fallen off the, uh, the the wagon, as it were. And uh, and like you say, they're, they're definitely not in contention, in my opinion, to pull up any trees there, which is a shame because Gary Anderson, even though I don't really like him that much, he was a bit of a phenom a few years ago in the darts world, came out of nowhere and really started winning everything. So that's a shame for Scotland, that is. Well, to be honest with you, it looks like he has started to peak a little bit again. I've seen him... Um... Seen him recently play in one of them routine games you see where the boards are all up. Seen him play Michael Smith and he absolutely tanned him one. So it, it does look like he um, is on a little bit of a little bit of a hot streak going into this one. Whereas Michael Smith on the other hand, uh, is um, I think he's, he's he's quite hit a bit of a bit of a poor patch. He obviously got um, got beat in the uh, the US Darts Masters and in the first round with a, just a, a random US guy. So yeah. Um, England are joint favourites, but well, sole favourites now. I'd imagine now that uh, there's no way they're going to be s- still as sole favourites. Netherlands with uh, with Van Gerwen being being dropped. So it'd be interesting to see how far down the down the uh, the odds they they have dropped. But for me, um, I know we're going to come round and do some predictions uh, for who we fancy for the t- the tournament. Uh, so uh, we start with you, Aggie, uh, seeing as you're the one looking directly at me. Um, who do you fancy? I, I, I'm probably safe in thinking it's going to be one of probably the teams that we've just spoken about. Um, who, who do you fancy? I'm going with England. 
I think they are favourites for a reason. Michael Smith is in incredible form. He fell to the current Premier League winner, of course, Michael Van Gerwen. There's no shame in that. Van Gerwen is incredible. But I think to get to the final, and I think he was the world champion just before then as well, um, teaming up with Rob Cross, somebody I am a big fan of and I would like to have seen in the Premier League anyway. Both of those teaming up together is just a huge threat and I think it's going to be incredible. Um, and I think now there is no Van Gerwen. Like Kemp says, uh, I think Gerwin Price and Johnny Clayton do pose quite a bit of a threat. I'd certainly have them up there, both just having Premier League experience as well. Gerwin Price has been in the form of his life this, this last couple of months or so. So you've got to have him there or thereabouts. And I think without Clayton surprised a couple of people in the Premier League, I think you've got to have him alongside him quite strongly. But yeah, I think England are going to have just too much and I think Smith and Cross are going to bring it home. So I'm going Kemp, to say it's coming home. What do you reckon, mate? What do you reckon? Yeah, I never get sick of Adam saying it's coming home, but there you go, there's another one. <laughs> uh, I think I was potentially back in the Netherlands before this Van Gerwen situation reared its ugly head for them. Um, mm. And now I'm going to be back in Wales. Um, I think there's a, a very, very strong chance that Johnny Clayton and Gerwin Price really, really kick on and, and win this this tournament by some margin. Um don't get me wrong, England are a really, really strong competitive side and I would well team and I would expect England to potentially be in the final with Wales. I would love it if England win, obviously. Uh, if we can bring something home, that'd be ideal. Um but uh, but but I do think Wales will just have a little bit too much with with Gerwin Price and Johnny Clayton and I think they'll uh, they'll get their job done. Sam? Yeah, I am actually in agreement with you. Uh, I I am fully behind Team Wales there. Well, not I'm behind England, but yeah, um, I think Wales uh, off the back of a red hot Premier League performance in um, in Gerwin Price, I think he's going to hit there. He's going to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Surprise, surprise, as he always does um, with his. Uh, I don't think he'll. If you ask him honestly, he'll be happy with that how that final played out against uh, Van Gerwen. So I think he's got a bit of a point to prove. And yeah, you, you you always look. I think in 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 these double sort of tournaments, and this is not just me talking from experience in darts, because as I've openly admitted, I have none. This is talking from experience in any kind of doubles format. I always think the strength always comes from the second player. The secondary player is is you know you can have the best player, but it's how the second player always complements the the, the the best player. And I think having um and I've, once again I've completely forgot his name, Adam. You're going to have to Wales. Go on, Johnny Clayton. Johnny Clayton's. I do apologise, Johnny Clayton. I just I, I just said it before, Adam, but I were on mute, unfortunately. So there you go. I was somewhere out there, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, I do apologise, Johnny Clayton. I'm uh, not. Your name's not sticking in my head tonight. But yeah, you look at Johnny Clayton as, a, as his as his, his partner or his number two, and, and it's as, it's as good as you can get. And I think he's personally, I think he's far better than than Rob Cross is. And whereas I think with Michael Smith having a bit of a dip in form, um, they're pretty on par at the minute anyway, Michael Smith and Price, I think that'd be fair to say. So, yeah, that's the only reason I'm going for Wales. I think Smith can get in his own head sometimes, and that's why I'm picking Wales. And obviously, they've got the first round by as well with England, which now that the Netherlands, I can't see them doing much. Um, I think it's going to be a pretty much three-off race between probably England, Wales... Uh, I don't know about Scotland. I think Scotland's difficult. Peter Wright, I think he's, he's just he's, he's got dartitis, anti. I think that's what I call it, and he just can't seem to get out of his own head. So, yeah, I'm not sure who that third one's going to be. I mean, you look at a Belgium; they've got uh, Dawson's favourite man, um, Van der Berg, in there. So, yeah, maybe maybe a surprise package. Australia are obviously the current um, yeah. current holders uh, with the Simon Whitlock. He's um, he's always a, he's always a fan favourite with his. his I'd long... say they're third favourites for me. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. It's a, it's a, it's a very strong, strong team, and I think, um, I think the uh, the guy who Simon Whitlock's with, that Dawson's going to absolutely rinse me for not knowing his name. Um, Damon Hater. 
Or Heater. Heater, right. Okay, so uh, Damon Hetter, I think it is. Um, Hetter. And I think Dawson mentioned a couple of weeks ago in our chat that he's, um, he's an up-and-coming name in the in the yeah. dot scene, so keep an eye out for him. And and they're, I think they're a cracking, uh, cracking outside bet, Australia. So, like I say, defending champions, so they've got the pedigree, they've got the the, the, the nous and the know-how. So, yeah, don't don't uh, don't back against them. Wild cards, perhaps. Wild mm. cards. Yeah, very much so. It's by the way, it's in Frankfurt. We have we haven't mentioned where it's old, so I just just throw that out there. It is it is been hosted in Frankfurt, and it does kick off tonight. I think it's literally been kicked off for forty minutes. I think it started at eight, uh, six o'clock tonight. So I thought yeah. from the the seedings and the and the group stage draw that they did, I thought it would taking place in Eddie Hearn's back garden. <laughs> you would have thought so, would you? That was Which I was pit- slated for knowing oh. where that was, by the way. Absolutely yeah, yeah, slated yeah. by Adam for funny. knowing where Eddie Hearn's back garden that, was. Very yeah. funny, very funny. That was the most Tim Pot thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm not ever. the biggest fan of Alan Partridge, but I feel like that could have potentially been a sketch. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> that was right up there with any kind of Alan Partridge sketch you've ever seen. Just, just a bloke stood there with a, with a clipboard as well. The fact that he had to write the teams down, like there wasn't somebody, a producer behind the scene making all these adjustments for him. He, he had to be there on camera writing down team for team. And I thought, Anthony Joshua's not fought for a while. Match room is struggling for a little bit of don't do really. that's what it could be. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. We mentioned Australia there briefly in the um the 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 world cup of darts um i am going to stick with australia very very briefly to talk about the upcoming cricket which we don't talk about very Ooh. often uh we don't talk about that at all on loaded sport none of us are massive cricket fans but we would re remiss if we didn't mention the ashes coming up um this weekend it does start at edgebaston i believe um england against australia as it always is no other teams qualified this season for the ashes unfortunately it was just england and australia Fuck once again that's terrible, um, <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> we've, we've just got such a dominating uh presence in that competition Fuck it out. Uh, it's, it's a two-horse race every season. People think Celtic and Rangers are bad, but you should see this one. Um, Moen Ali's had to be drafted in last minute after retiring from Test cricket because Jack Leach got injured. Um, and I think that's going to bolster um, England's chances of winning the Ashes this weekend. Adam, Sam, either of you take this. I don't think either of you are cricket fans particularly. Um, no. But you know what? It might be interesting to get a completely outsider's perspective as to who's going to win the cricket. We're all outsiders, to be fair, to be fair with the cricket. Um, Adam, I'll start with you, with your vast knowledge of cricket. <laughs> who's going to win the Ashes in 2023? Let me fucking pause. I swear to God, if you say the words, it's fucking coming home one more time. In this, in this <laughs> That's why I did segment. it. That's why I did it. I've got to get in there. I've got to get in there. If I fucking hear the words, it's coming home. Go on, carry on. Who, who do you reckon is going to win? England. Look at, look at his little right smile. I'm trying not to. I'm trying not to. I, d- I don't know too much about cricket, mate. I'm not going to be able to give you much of an insight on it. I'm just going to say England are going to England are going to win. Yeah, Sam, so. no. are you going to pick Australia just because Adam thinks it's going home? I can't do it, mate. I can't pick Australia. It's uh, it's going to be it's going to be England, and whatever sport it's going to be. I say I say whatever sport it's going to be. I'm going to back England. I've just completely done against that isn't it, for darts, and I back Wales. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm absolute bullshit in there, aren't I? But no, I'll oh, back well, England. It is but... what it is. You've got to be got to be patriotic when you can, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think all our um, all our knowledge pulled together is uh, not what I want to be honest. But... <laughs> 
No, no, I don't think so, and I'm not the biggest cricket fan myself. I, I do, I don't mind watching the Ashes when it gets down to the nitty gritty and right at the end, and when you know if it's a decider or if it's two two and you're going into the last last super test, over. I wonder what's going to happen. Uh, but but yeah, I, I can't quite see myself getting too invested in the cricket. Test cricket is a little bit of a heavy one for me. I think any any game that takes over course over a period of days rather than uh, rather than hours, except golf. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not Good the biggest save. fan of Good so I'm, I'm sure we'll move on to, uh, to to whatever's next Adam I'll let you take it can, can you imagine when uh, when Aggie is making his little notes here on, on timestamps and then Dawson Blessing will finally upload the video just some innocent cricket uh, cricket fan will just stumble across it. Oh, they talk about cricket. I watch it, and, we're, and, and they've come for this particular section. And all we've done is just rip it to fucking bits. I do apologise if that is you and you have joined joined purely for cricket talk because it it weren't up to much. I must admit. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'll move on to uh, talking about Formula One because this weekend is the Canadian Grand Prix and Red Bull aim to make it eight wins in eight. Before the season started, everyone expected it to be Red Bull dominance. That is exactly what has happened. Mercedes have done a couple of upgrades. It didn't really get them over the line a couple of weeks ago. However, it got them closer. They did take second and third place with Sergio Perez falling behind in fourth. Uh, Max Verstappen took the top step of the podium. He won from pole position last season in Canada. It's really a question of whether he can go ahead and do that again. He's currently won five races this season. His teammate Sergio Perez has won the other two, which leaves Max Verstappen 53 points ahead of Sergio Perez in the Drivers' Championships at the moment. Red Bull currently lead by 135 in the Constructors' Championship, so it's really a question of whether uh, Max Verstappen is going to continue his dominance in his bid for his third consecutive World Championship. Mercedes, they've done their upgrades and Lewis Hamilton's getting closer. George Russell's beginning to put a bit of pressure on as well. For this one, it's just a case of there's going to be much more overtaking opportunities. There's going to be a lot more chance for... for Errors from Verstappen. We've seen plenty of incidents in the past that have uh, led to World Championship disputes. Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton, to name a couple. Um, I think it's going to be a typical case of Max Verstappen finishes on qualifying on uh, on top step, on first place, on pole position. And I think he's going to go ahead and win the race. I think it's going to be another Sergio Perez in second place for Red Bull. Those cars are just too strong this season. For anybody to get even close to them, it's going to be at least another season. I think Mercedes, who are very close to agreeing a new deal with Lewis Hamilton. I have seen rumours, not sure just how true these are, that there is something in Lewis Hamilton's contract that if there is potential of him moving to Red Bull or Ferrari, uh, there is a fee that's wavered that allows him to do so, but I'm not sure exactly how true that is. These contracts have been going on now for a good couple of weeks, um, so it's not quite sure just what's happening with Hamilton yet. But How do you feel about that? I'm going to just jump straight in and just butt in, and I don't normally comment in these sections, but I know you're not the biggest uh, biggest Lewis fan in the world. And uh, and, and ironically, obviously, as you all know, I'm, I'm currently at my, um, my in-laws for the year, while I was, while I was saving for a mortgage, and uh, my father-in-law, we're not, not married yet, but... He is the same. He absolutely loves F1, but he can't stand Lewis Hamilton. So it does seem to be a bit of a bit of a theme. So what's your what's your thoughts on the um, on the the move or potential move? I think he, he's a very good driver. I'll, I'll give him his credit. The reason I don't like him is just because he left McLaren oh, to Mercedes. Oh, that's success. good on you giving him his credit. Fuck me, mate. He's one of the greatest drivers that there's ever fucking been. No, it's when you say like you don't like him, you just expect it to be a case of no, he sucks, that sort of stuff. No, for me, Lewis Loaded Hamilton. Loaded sport headline: Man without driving license compliments Lewis Hamilton's <laughs> driving style. <laughs> yeah, that you, you had that one coming, Aggie. Fucking hell, I'm not no, saying no. That I'm, I'm saying, saying in, in regards to. Fucking hell, that's good on you. I'm thinking more of like a Formula One driver, obviously. Um, 
is exceptional. Everybody that's on the grid is obviously, but for Lewis Hamilton to accomplish the things that he's done, has been a cut above the rest for many years. I don't think he's done yet. I really don't think. I think give him a car that is quick enough, he will be able to compete. I know that's going to sound very simple, but for Formula One fans that that, that know obviously how how the situation, how the cars work, and how the racing works, it isn't always as simple as whoever's got the quickest car will win the race because Perez hasn't been doing so, and he's not really been competing with Verstappen too often this season, despite the fact they've both got the same car. So I think you put Hamilton in one of those Red Bulls, and it is just going to be Red Bull dominance for years to come, him and Verstappen. But I don't think the personalities will get along, so I think it's a bad issue. It's a bad uh, bad idea from Red Bull if they were to ever chase Lewis. I think Ferrari's looking like the more more likely option um, and, down uh, the line. What's up with it from a, from an absolute? No, uh, I'm going to say from an absolute nonce then. I'm going to say from an absolute novice. <laughs> <laughs> from an absolute novice. <laughs> from an absolute novice point of view, what's up with his current car, and why would he have to move? I think it's just the upgrades have been too slow with Mercedes. Red Bull has spent many years uh, many years behind Mercedes trying to perfect the car to, to compete with them, and it's just kind of overtaken them. They've had a uh, like a price cap introduced, and Red Bull have breached it. And in a similar sort of situation to Manchester City, they've not really been penalised for it. So they've gone ahead and, and still won the championship over the last two years. This year looks like being no different. They've spent a little bit more money on the car than perhaps they should have, but they're still in a very strong position. I think for Ferrari, they've got strategic errors. They've got reliability issues. They just need to sort out their engines to make sure that drivers can compete. Everything else with the car, in my opinion, is absolutely fine. And they proved that last year when, when Leclerc was trying to compete with Verstappen. Um, I think if Lewis goes there, his experience within a car and, and building the Formula One cars will prove very pivotal to Ferrari competing again. I think they need somebody with the experience. They've got two very young drivers that aren't quite experienced and aren't able to give quite the feedback that somebody like Lewis Hamilton could whilst driving around the track at high speeds. So I think that's the real difference. And I think Ferrari going for Lewis would make sense, would be a good shout for them. I think Mercedes have to do everything they can to keep him there because if they're going to compete with Red Bull anytime soon, they need both Lewis and George Russell on par working together to get this Mercedes car back competitive. And that's why for the bottom step of the podium, I'm going to go with Lewis Hamilton at the end of the Canadian Grand Prix. So Max, Checo and Lewis and uh, Max Verstappen to take pole position uh, for Canada this weekend. So Kemp, are you ready? Hi. Yes. Over to you then for uh, for Kempy's comeback corner. Oh, Kempy's comeback corner indeed, and we're going to review two um, pretty big uh, eventful nights in the combat world. Um, first of all, J- Josh Taylor versus Tiafimo Lopez at Madison Square Garden for the WBO Light Welterweight Championship of the World. I'm going to move on to UFC 289, where the consensus greatest women's fighter of all time, um, fresher in that respect than Sam's beautiful haircut that he's, uh, he's, he's parading around on us uh, at the moment. Um, has retired from the sport, um, double champion, featherweight and, and bantamweight champion in the UFC, which I'm sure we will review as uh, as and when the time comes. Then talk about Fraser Clark against Marius Welch, which will, which will take place um, this weekend, uh, this Friday, um, at uh, York Hall. Um, which is a, a very sorry, it's whack, not Welsh. Sorry, um, in a in a in a historic venue like York Hall in Bethnal Green. So we'll we'll move on to talking about that, and then what is next for tough thirty one coach. 
Conor McGregor, the ultimate fighter coach, um, potentially missing the deadline to submit his first uh, test sample um, for the USADA drug testing programme for the UFC. So a lot to cover um, in and out the ring slash cage on KP's Callback Corner this week. Uh, but we will start, as I say, at the beginning, and it was Tiafimo Lopez against Josh Taylor for the WBO Light Welterweight Championship of the World. TFMO Lopez, um, I predicted if you if you watched last week's edition of Kempi's Combat Corner to win the WBO well, Light Welterweight Championship, and so he did by unanimous points decision at Madison Square Garden. Um, 115, 113, 115, 113, and 117, 111. Uh, Josh Taylor looking very, very depleted at the weight once again. Uh, we saw similar issues against Jack. Catterall, a lot of people thought he should have lost that fight. If we're being honest, the biggest Josh Taylor fans in the world thought Jack Catterall won that fight. Um, but Josh Taylor, as we discussed last week, managed to cling on to his belts uh, via dodgy boxing decision, I think, is, is a new method of victory that, that they need to install into boxing and it needs to be recognised. But wasn't as lucky this weekend or this last weekend against Tiafimo Lopez. Um, Tiafimo Lopez has done really well at the division. He's beat Vasily Lomachenko and now has beat Josh Taylor, two of the best light welterweights in the in the world right now. Um, so hats off to him. But at, at 25 years of age, after beating Josh Taylor, has come out and announced his retirement, which which surprised a lot of people. And I think it's more a Tyson Fury retirement than anything else. And all boxing fans and even even uh, laymen of, of the boxing world will know exactly what that means. Um, but the fight itself, Tiafimo Lopez looked aggressive. He looked he looked calm. He looked very very um, comfortable in there. Um, and Josh Taylor didn't give him too much to think about. Like I say, Josh Taylor looks like he's really, really struggling at the weight. I think the best thing now for Josh Taylor to do would be to move up and potentially fight Jack Catterall again in, in the weight division above the welterweight division. But for me, um, Tiafimo Lopez was the favourite going in. I don't think he was the bookies' favourite, but for me, I, I had him winning that fight um, and he did so convincingly. Those two scorecards, 115-113, 115-113, w- were absolutely not a fair reflection of the fight. And I'm very, very happy that Tiafimo Lopez wasn't robbed of that because he absolutely deserved to win the fight in his hometown of New York City. Um, the Brooklyn boy, like I say, really got himself up for this fight. He was aggressive, he was front-footed, he was, he was confident um, and really came across as though nothing that Josh Taylor said or did um, was going to affect him. There were a lot of complaints and issues coming into this fight with TFMO Lopez saying that he was going to kill Josh Taylor in the ring, which is never a good thing to say when when people have unfortunately tragically passed away in the boxing ring. It's never something that you want to hear from, from, from a fighter coming into an event um, and definitely not something we wanted to hear in the build-up to the fight. Fortunately enough, they were both in good spirits after the fight. Josh Taylor seems to have been dealing with this defeat a lot better than he dealt with what should have been a defeat against Jack Catterall um, and, and he looks as though he's he's going to be moving up in weight and I think we all completely agree with that. So a really, really big fight. Um, I think Tiafimo Lopez is saying that he wants to retire, as I mentioned, it's a Fury retirement because he wants a little bit more money, he wants a little bit more recognition but ultimately, if that's what you want, you've got to put yourself in that position. We're going to talk about Conor McGregor in a bit. The reason he's paid so much in the UFC, not because he's the best fighter in the UFC, because he's absolutely not. And, and let's be fair, never was pound for pound. Um, but he he sells his fights so unbelievably well um, and markets himself in such a way that, that he commands eyes and respect. And I think that's what Tiafimo Lopez does. But he needs to do something about that, because ultimately at the moment, why would you pay to see a Tiafimo Lopez fight? Um, he's a very, very good fighter and purist will always buy his, his pay-per-views, but to earn the big money in boxing, especially at a lower weight division where you've not got the the, the, the excitement of the potential heavyweights, 
um, you've got to really stand out from the crowd. And I think Tiafimo Lopez is a standout fighter in terms of his ability. Fantastic CV with, like I say, Vasily Lomachenko and Josh Taylor on his resume as, as victories and a very, very close decision loss against George Cambosis. Um, but he needs to really sell himself and then he's going to make the kind of money that he wants. So um, big night in the boxing and, uh, and a good good weekend it, it was for boxing, especially over this side of the pond as well, with Sonny Edwards winning his fight for matchroom boxing at the weekend as well. Um, and hats off to him and fingers crossed now, as Sonny Edwards said he was in the, when he was in the ring, he wants to go out there and unify the division. So best of luck to, to, the, to the Brit, Sonny Edwards, and we will always back a Brit going for Undisputed. Um, we now move on to UFC 289, which there was a shock for me um, in the sense that Charles Oliveira defeated Benil Dariush um, by knockout, which I absolutely did not see coming. The Bronx has come back and he's back with a vengeance um, after losing uh, his his UFC light, lightweight championship. Um, he really did come back with a vengeance at UFC 289 um, and did the business, like I say, against Benil Dariush via TKO in the very first round. So, Benil Dariush on a huge win streak. A lot of people thinking he should be fighting for the title. A lot of people thinking he got moved down the, the pecking order a little bit because he's probably not as marketable as De Bronx is, as Charles Oliveira is. But you know what? Um, this is the best outcome that, that the UFC could have probably hoped for because Charles Oliveira does draw eyes to that lightweight division, no matter if you love him or you loathe him. Um, and a rematch between himself and Islam Makhachev, if that is what's going to happen next, it's going to be a very, very, very compelling fight. Um, and Charles Oliveira against anybody in that division, whether he's fought him already or not, is a very compelling fight indeed very exciting fighter um, and it's good to see Charles, Charles de Bronx Oliveira back in the win column as regards Benil Dariush um he was on a, a pretty decent win streak, um, 34 years of age. He'd not lost since 2018 um, with, with victories against Drew Dober, against Tony Ferguson, Mateus Gamrot, who were all real contenders in the lightweight division. So this defeat against Charles Oliveira really, really is a, a, a big um, loss for him. Um, and he's going to have to rebound pretty big time if he wants to get himself back in that conversation. I think the next fight that makes sense for Benil Dariush, for, uh, Benil Dariush um, would be against either the winner or, or the loser of, should I say, uh, Poirier against um, Gaethje. Um, I think that would be a really interesting fight for him. And if Michael Chandler doesn't end up fighting Conor McGregor, I think that would be a really good fight for Benil Dariush to come back to as well, to try and get himself back in the win column against a real notable fighter at lightweight. So yeah, the killer's, the killer's row at lightweight has, has, has reared its head once again. And Charles Oliveira has put himself back in the win column and back in an opportunity in a position where he can potentially fight um, uh, the, the, the reigning, defending, uh, undisputed lightweight champion, Islam Makhachev, once again, um, attention now turns to UFC 290, and I'm sure I'll cover that a lot more in the in the weeks and and uh, and the days building up to it. But this was a bit of a sleeper card. I didn't stay up for it. I watched the two, the co-main and the main event in the morning. But wow, Alexander Volkanovsky against uh, Yair Rodriguez, um, Brandon Moreno against Pantoja, Robert Wick against Duplessis, uh, Jalen Turner against Dan Hooker, Bo Nickel against Trazen Gore, Robbie Lawler, Nico Price. It's going to be a very, very interesting and exciting card that's coming up on July the 8th. So we have got a little bit of time, three or four weeks to wait for that. Um, but I think it will be worth the wait. An international fight week in, La fight week in Las Vegas, Nevada um, is going to be a very, very compelling night to come. Um, I mentioned earlier about Conor McGregor and potentially the fight that he's going to be um, involved in um, later on this year against Michael Chandler or not. Potentially, um, you've got 
a lot of questions hanging around Conor McGregor at the moment. Rumours circulating earlier on today that he wasn't thrilled or, or that excited to fight against Michael Chandler. John Kavanaugh, John Ka- uh, Conor McGregor's coach, has been quoted in saying at this stage in Conor's career, he he only wants to see him fight against people that he's really up for fighting. And for some reason, after the Ultimate Fighter season 31, which is currently airing, I think there have been three episodes so far, and Michael Chandler's fighters have beat Conor McGregor's fighters three fights to nil. Um, but but for, for whatever reason, the rumours have been circulating that he's not that interested in that fight. So it'll be very interesting to see who he comes back against, if he ever comes back um, in the in the near-ish future. Um, but but that's going to be interesting. Like I say, Conor McGregor is yet to enter the, the USADA testing pool or, or provide his first sample um, he's got by end of plate today which will be Friday obviously as we record um, but end of plate to, sorry end of plate tomorrow um, as we record is Thursday as we release it's Friday so he's got the end of plate on Friday to to ultimately submit his first test um, it's quite well known that Conor McGregor's probably used some supplements that aren't allowed under the USADA testing scheme um, in his recovery from his broken leg against Dustin Poirier when he fought him a couple of years ago. But that's going to be a very, very interesting prospect. And, and we will have to see if Conor McGregor does end up being back in the ring um, or the cage sooner rather than later. Uh, but yeah, if he doesn't get that test result in, he's not going to be fighting again this year. You do need six months of testing um, to be able to fight in the cage, unless you're Brock Lesnar. Side note, we'll leave that one where it is. Um, but yeah, let's see if Conor McGregor gets that done. Let's see if he does enter that first sample. And let's see if we are talking about a Conor McGregor-Michael Chandler fight in around six months' time. Um, mentioned it earlier briefly as well. Fraser Clark is now fighting against Marius Wach. Uh, this weekend, this Friday night at York Hall. Um, Fabio Wardley was meant to be the one that was fighting Fraser Clark um, this weekend. Unfortunately, Fraser Clark is represented by Boxer and Ben Shalom and Sky Sports. Um, and unfortunately, the purse bids for that particular fight were cancelled um, as Boxer didn't want to put Fraser Clark in to a British title fight, which would have been 12 rounds. All British title fights are 12 rounds, full 12 minute round, uh, 12 down distances. 36-minute, three-minute rounds, um, unfortunately, didn't want him going in, having only previously fought in eight-round contests. So this is the one. This is the fight against Marius Wack, whereby um, they're going to want to see a potential stoppage by Fraser Clark. He really should be stopping a fighter like Marius Wack, who is, is a journeyman at this stage in his career, most definitely. But they're also going to want to see rounds from him as well. I think they want to want to see rounds from Fraser Clark. They're going to want to see him get get a little bit tested, maybe at times, but go eight and potentially nine rounds in this ten round fight and get him out there late. He needs rounds under his belt if he's going to fight against Fabio Wardley, and hopefully for his sake, that's what he'll get. But Marius Wack, he's not going to be a complete walkover. He's been in there with Dillian White, Huey Fury, uh, Fury, um, Jarrell Big Baby Miller. Um, Martin Bacoli, who is a, another UK fighter, and even the former uh, unified heavyweight champion of the world, Vladimir Klitschko, back in the day. Um, lost against all of those fighters, as you could probably expect, but he's got a lot of experience, a tricky customer, um, and he's not going to be the easiest uh, opponent for Fraser Clark this week, this, this Friday night um, in Bethnal Green at York Hall, the home of British boxing. So an interesting night of fights on Friday. Not really that much to talk about in the UFC as it stands, um, but but we're all on the countdown now to UFC 290 um, and a potential fight announcement for potentially Anthony Joshua, potentially Tyson Fury, although knowing the heavyweight division, probably not. Adam? Nice one. Cheers for that. Uh, Kemp? 
lads, that is all we've got this week for episode 53. Uh, thanks very much for joining, just so that uh, Skin still gets his uh, little laughs out of it. Sam, what's your plans for the weekend? <laughs> I'm glad you did that, because I'm about to do the same. Um, no plans as of yet. Um, we, I mean, it's been been a bit hot anti to make plans. I, I keep uh, keep telling me I we're going to star, but um, I've not I've not been there for probably about two or three weeks. So I'm uh, I'm clamouring, I'm clamouring, getting a bit itchy palms to go back. So mainly pups at star on uh, on Saturday. Uh, I can't think. I'm definitely going to watch England Friday. I think I, I can't not. I, I'm an absolute slave to, to watching England. But yeah, other than that, it'll be a pretty uh, pretty quiet weekend. What about you, mate? Yeah, I'm going to be watching England on Friday. I think Sunday we are weather permitting having a barbecue um, round at my nice. mum's. Um, and Saturday, I think I'm just going to be chilling, doing absolutely nothing, enjoying it for the last couple of weeks I've got before football season starts, and I'm busy doing fake journalism stuff for the rest of the season. So yeah, nice. it should be good. Enjoying the weekend, and hopefully the weather sticks up for it as well. Kemp, what do you think, Adam? What do you think I'm doing this weekend? Well, I, guess. I, I can only assume you're going golfing. I am, yeah. Tomorrow night I'm going to go for a quick warm-up round of golf and then Sunday morning I'm also playing golf as well, which means Saturday is going to be dedicated to probably doing things potentially around the house and potentially maybe down Pilsley Way as well, but we'll have to see how that goes. Um, <laughs> I knew Sam's eyes would light up there. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a pretty steady one, as Sam said, that the weather is warm, so you don't want to really be overstretching yourself on the weekend. You want to be relaxing when you've been working all week in this awful heat. So, Adam, I don't know if you want to do this or, or if you want me to do this but you, you do want it, to mate. tell the people where they can find you us do on it, our mate. social yeah, media yeah no, I know where this will go and you do it I tell you what you're going to have to tell you the Facebook one because I don't have that mm-hmm. and that's facebook.com forward slash loaded sport fair enough uh, fair enough uh, on Instagram we are loaded underscore sport and on Twitter we are at loaded sport so if anybody wants to uh, follow like or, or retweet any of our, our our activity on there that would be ideal all of our podcasts are going up on YouTube and Spotify so if you've not already subscribed on either of those platforms please please do it so now um, once again we always say it but we really really appreciate all the support we get and the loyal listeners of the podcast for 53 episodes now so yeah thank you everybody and um enjoy your night i've just realized skin's gonna have an absolute issy fit when he realizes we've not done a breakdown episode at top so uh should be fucking here then shouldn't he eh? <laughs> well, that's it if you're gonna if you're gonna start having issy fits you're gonna have to start committing yourself a little bit to the uh, to the calls as well but there you go